Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me, as always, celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is Adam. Hello, how are you? I'm good. It's good to be back on the microphone, and people will not know how long we've been off the microphone because we're just continuing down this this road of Ted Lasso. So listeners, if uh, if you're enjoying this, know that there has been a gap but we're not going to tell you how long that gap was because that's (laughs) not what this show's about about behind the scenes stuff maybe there'll be some bonus content here and there but (laughs) exactly we are in episode seven make rebecca great again the seventh episode in season one of ted lasso with a teleplay a teleplay by jason sudeikis did he do that see look at you you're just you're the tech guy i'm I'm just call you tech guy (laughs) tech guy adam that's what you're gonna be called tech guy adam I'm the uh, the man in the van. So teleplay would be the actual script, not the story, correct? Yeah, it's a, it's the equivalent for a TV show of a screenplay. So you know you have the story or the you know, the treatment, and then you have the person who writes the actual dialogue that mm-hmm. the actors um, need to learn, right? The lines that they have to learn. So in this particular episode, Jason apparently wrote all the dialogue, and whether or not he had help it's you know sometimes there's shared credit on the teleplay like anything but yeah this is a tele for television play so it's a it's these are the words yeah so if you watch this episode you can just think well jason was writing all this dialogue for all the characters (laughs) well there's a particular scene that we'll talk about later involving nate that i'm wondering wow did jason really come up with all that because that's pretty clever but uh i noticed that sometimes in credits you know you'll see teleplay and then story but sometimes you'll see written by and i'm guessing that means that written means that both the story and the actual script were a collaborate or were written by a person yeah, so sometimes it can be both, right? So if you if you see a movie where it's written by and there's no individual credit for story or teleplay or screenplay, then it means that that one individual or two people collaborated and they wrote not only the story, but also all the dialogue as well. So it's just, they break it up if there were two different teams perhaps mm-hmm. working. So someone could, could have written the, the story for this episode and come up with sort of the direction of where this story is going that wasn't Jason. And Jason, basically knowing the characters as well as he does, came in and wrote the dialogue. Well, I think both are equally talented. So if you're out there and you're getting written by credits or story by credits or teleplay credits, good on (laughs) you because that's pretty fantastic. I I think that there's just a... and, And I'm learning more about the world of television and movies as we're well, just in general, but in, in having these conversations, it's been good to just be able to go, oh, okay, cool. Dutch angles. Didn't know about that. Yeah. Here's another one. In those credits, if you see the word and written out in between two writers, let's say, that means that they worked independently on the script, not together. So one may have written a draft and another came in and continued to work on that script after the first person, but they never actually collaborated. If there's an ampersand between the two names, that means that they worked in tandem together 
collaborating on the draft that you then saw and it was made into the film. Oh. So there's very specific things in credits that mean something in the industry. And all of this goes into negotiations when, when, you know, agents work with actors and with directors and producers, it, it all, it all means something. <laughs> this means something. This is important. Richard Dreyfus, you know, doing his thing. Exactly. You got to wonder who wrote that line. Was that the teleplay? Yeah. Did, was that the, te did somebody write yeah, the yeah, screenplay exactly. or was that story, you know, who, or was it right. written by the same person? <laughs> so. Yep. <laughs> oh man, good stuff. I, I love these little nuggets and uh, you know, keep throwing them at me. I love learning about <laughs> all this, but that's not why we're here. We're here to discuss episode seven of this amazing first season of Ted Lasso, Make Rebecca Great Again. I think we both were kind of a little, mm, I think our guesses were pretty wild. I don't think anything presidential was happening in this episode necessarily, <laughs> but definitely was going to center around Rebecca. And, and that, was, that was something that, that did happen. And so it didn't yeah. lie to us. And I think by the end of the episode, would we agree that Rebecca was made great again? I, yeah, I think so. I think she really finally comes around in this episode and, uh, and we'll get into that sort of, there's a, there's a great scene where sh that she has with Ted in this episode that echoes an episode, an earlier episode that we discussed. So uh, yeah, she really, I think has a good turning point in this episode. And she probably gets the most screen time, much more than Ted, I would say in this episode. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why uh, Jason Sudeikis wrote the episode. Maybe he wanted to sort of, as he was not on screen as much, he wanted to, and didn't have as much dialogue himself. He wanted to, to take a stab at, at writing dialogue for the other actors. Or he had a lot of time on his hands because he wasn't or, on screen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Got to keep working. Yeah. Well, let's not dilly-dally. We'll get right into it. Um, we'll start uh, right outside uh, the bus. They're getting ready to go to, I think it's Liverpool, to play yep. Everton. Yep. And there's this great little gag with Nate and the bus where he, he gets he gets thrown, not thrown, but he gets packed in the bus or in, yeah. in the luggage compartment, which I thought was just a great little way to start the episode of like, okay, this is, this is kind of how it's going to be, maybe. And then yep. we're quickly in the the office of Ted and Beard, and he's on a call with his wife. First, I think first with his son, and then his wife gets on. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And his his son makes some comment about, uh, are you going to see the Beatles or, you know, say hi to Paul John, Paul, George, and Ringo? <laughs> and, yeah. and Beard goes, still haven't told him that John and George are dead. They're what? It was Keith Richards. And that reminds me of like a couple of other times in the series where Ted overreacts for a laugh. I mean, he knows he's being funny, but I think, I think it was the last episode when, oh yeah, it was when Rebecca was talking about um, Jamie being taken back to Man City. They're, they're, uh, gosh, I can't remember the joke, but they're not renewing his contract. And he goes, they're taking his house. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's the same reaction. But in that regard, I think he like genuinely was like, I don't know what's going on. Whereas this, he's just being a hilarious, right. hilarious. Or opinion. when he first saw his son and his wife on the, on the pitch and you know, he's, you can talk. All... <laughs> you got so big. It's, it's good. We don't see that that much. And I think that's, what's really great about those types yeah. of things about him is that we don't see him much. So they, they become kind of highlights to, to his character. Um, and yeah. of course the divorce papers come out and gosh, I just, I wrote down in my notes, divorce papers suck. Um, I've never yeah. been served them and I know I will hopefully never, I'd never want to see that, <laughs> no. but I've known people who react this way who are like, oh, they don't want the divorce papers as much as 
their relationships have been in trouble. Uh, divorce papers, they just suck. It, it means it's really over. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's finality to it. And that's probably the hardest part, mm -hmm. I would imagine, not having been through it myself, but knowing as you, knowing people that have, I think that's, that's the worst part. It's mm -hmm. just having to come to that realization that it's really over. Yeah. Once I sign this. Yeah, yeah. That there's no coming back from it, right? That there, right. there's always that gl glimmer of like hope that maybe, maybe we'll figure something out until the signature is, is put to paper. Yeah. And the iPhone takes a picture and emails <laughs> to, right. a, to a, a Mac.com account, whatever, because yeah. this is an Apple original. So nobody owns Androids <laughs> on this show, whatever. No. <laughs> Well, and that's like in Sony pick any movie, any Columbia picture ever since Sony purchased Columbia, you will never see anything other than a Sony laptop or a Sony phone. It's, it's just, it makes sense. You know, it's, you're gonna, you're gonna want to product place your own products. <laughs> but I mean, come on, nobody really buys those computers. I mean, let's, let's, let's be real about this. I mean, if we're, yeah. if we're trying to be, you know, somewhat realistic, let's. Yeah, exactly. I, I like that that Apple show. I mean, they're just. I mean, why not? I mean, it's just so blatant. <laughs> you know, Macs yep. and iPhones and stuff like that, and the sounds, and it's just like, okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, as an Android guy, I'm like, whatever. And I know you're a Mac guy, and I have no yeah. beast with that. Um, it's always fun to get text messages from you that say laughed at this or emphasize that. And I'm like, my Android can't do that. I can just put like <laughs> thumbs up emojis or, or, you know, happy face emojis to respond to your text messages. That's how they show up to me. I think it's just a, it's a thing that doesn't translate between yeah. the two. <laughs> it's just so All yeah. right. Well, we digress. <laughs> yeah. So the episode takes us into Rebecca's office and this is where we find out that it's her wedding anniversary. I love the subtlety here where she's on her laptop and she gets a little reminder from like a flower shop that says happy anniversary, uh, give your, get yourself something nice. Um, it's not overt. Uh, we get a little hint like, okay, so it, it, it's her anniversary, I think, at that point. And that weekend, I think that it's weekend, her, yeah. It's her, it, it's her like anniversary weekend. And it's the first, this is the first time or the first anniversary of her marriage to Rupert that since they got divorced. So it's it, obviously prior to this, I'm assuming they had a, until she found out, you know, about his infidelity, I, I was assumed that they, they had a good marriage. Maybe. I don't know. It was adequate. <laughs> it was good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Keely comes in and she's just Keely. She's just so excited about girls trip going to Liverpool. And I think Throughout this episode, Rebecca's facial expressions are on just full display of amazing. <laughs> yeah. The way that she responds to Keely, the looks that she gives her. Later on, we see her in conversations with her best friend that we'll get into later. The way that she looks at Ted in certain scenes. It's just, she definitely is the centerpiece of this episode. And I love that because we haven't gotten a lot with her. She's definitely been a part of this ensemble cast but it's nice to be able to focus on her. So I'll just kind of give that as a, as a disclaimer that that's what stood out to me in this episode was just her performance of being Rebecca. She's, she's amazing. Yeah, I, I agree completely. She's phenomenal in this episode and in this role. And uh, she's, yeah, she really gets a, an episode to shine, I would say in this, in this episode, she's given, as I said, a lot of, a lot of screen time, a lot of development to her character, 
which which uh, is great. And so the scene ends with Higgins coming in with those great glasses. He's excited about going on the trip. And uh, she tells him that, I need you to stay here this weekend, doing work that doesn't matter. And, it, you know, it's it's kind of a carryover from the last mm-hmm. episode, a little bit of continuity there. Yeah, he's been essentially consorting with the enemy, I would say, mm-hmm. in, in her mind. So she's, as we talked about last time, she left uh, the the pitch in, in anger. And um, and so she's she's not happy with with Higgins at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I hope I like Higgins, though. So I think he's a good guy and he's a good character. So mm-hmm. hopefully he'll redeem himself in her eyes. <laughs> Optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> he's a favorite of mine too. I think he's a quiet hero in my book. I think he wants yeah. to do good and do right by whoever he is um, connected to. And whether that's Ted or Rebecca, hopefully those things will unify themselves at some point. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the episode then goes into the locker room and this is where we discover that FC Richmond has not won at Everton in 60 years. I love when that's announced <laughs> beard surprise he goes what the hell (laughs) like it's like wow (laughs) even he is just really shocked this is one of those scenes where i think sudeikis just has some fun with dialogue he goes into that moment about tearing of the butt and (laughs) i could not stop laughing yeah not not his upper hamstring yes tore his butt (laughs) yeah o'brien says it's my upper hamstring, coach. Well, you tore your butt, son. There's nothing to be ashamed of, okay? It happens. People tear their butts all the time in athletics. You're not alone, man. And he's like, he says something like, yeah, Beard, uh, you've torn your butt. He's like, yep, three times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because you see the, see the boys laughing. And, and I think yeah. that, again, there are times when I think the laughter, the reactions are just absolutely genuine because of the way that the dialogue totally. is delivered. And it's just really funny. I, but I love seeing how that's captured because we see these men who have struggled to come together as a team who are struggling with the fact that they're sort of cursed uh, at not being able to beat Everton. And there's this kind of soft moment where they're like, okay, we can be okay. It doesn't solve the problem, but I think it adds right. some levity there. That's that's something that I'm really impressed with, with Ted's characters. He really brings levity to a situation. Right. It brings them, they were in the dumps mm-hmm. at, as Ted came into the room and this kind of helped bring them out just a little bit, which I think is important. You know, if you're going to go off and get in the bus, at least go off and do it with a smile on your face and some optimism, right? Absolutely. It's a a long shot that they're going to win. And I think everyone knows that, but it doesn't mean you can't have fun (laughs) and enjoy the game. Right. (laughs) And O'Brien's butt tear opens up the door for a new keeper, hopefully a better one than O'Brien. Yes. I still can't pronounce his name. Is it? Zoro, Zoro, not Zoro. Zoro, Zoro. Yeah, Zoro. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. Yeah, Ted can't pronounce it. Ted can't pronounce it either. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's what, that's what I said. Zoro. It's <laughs> it's Z O R E A U X. Zoro. So that's yeah, that's Zorro. how it's spelled. <laughs> I'm gonna stop yeah. now because it's just. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna stop now because it's just gonna be you know I'm gonna fail. <laughs> yeah. So then we move outside the clubhouse. They're getting ready to leave. Ted gets uh, caught by a couple of reporters asking about relegation. And he's like, I'm more afraid of the definition. I don't even know what that means. And yeah. and then he. Which is a running gag, you know, from way back with those NBC sports promos. That was an early joke that they wrote for the character that he didn't he have. He had no idea what relegation <laughs> meant. And 
Yeah, so I like that they kind of pull the, the, you know, it's a little thread. And I feel like at this point, Ted probably knows, but he just kind of has fun with the fact that he's an outsider and doesn't want to let on how much he knows. It's like maybe that's what makes him strong is that he doesn't he doesn't show how much he knows. So I don't disagree with that completely, but I think the way in which he shuts down that reporter and goes right to the next person kind of tells me that he doesn't know what relegation means. <laughs> because very possible. That, that first reporter yeah. is like, oh, I guess my question's been answered <laughs> in the same right. way that it's supposed to be. But then he's asked about the loss of Jamie. And yeah. he says, um, I think one of the neatest things about being a coach is the connection that you make with your players. And he indicates it's right. a tough loss. And I, it's like, great, just a great little Ted moment. Mm-hmm. We are reminded that I got kind of a father figure moment with that when he, when he said that. And I think that he feels that way about a lot of his players. I'm projecting, of course, but I think it's, it's kind of cool to, to see him continue that, what I would call positive honesty about the fact that can't control what we can't control, but I can yeah. be honest about the fact that, you know, I miss him. And I, I think that's sort of echoed in his relationship with his wife too. Although, you know, that's not really as direct, but I feel like he kind of has that same mentality with her. Yeah, I agree. And then it's funny because as they, as he kind of, these are, I guess, like traveling reporters. I think they go with the team. Yeah, like beat reporters, beat beat writers. Yeah, exactly. And so as he's getting on the bus, as Ted's getting on the bus, he kind of waves back to them and says, oh, last one there is a scotch egg. And, and I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I mean, obviously the American expression is is rotten egg. And I would assume it would be the same over there because they both look confused when he says that. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, And a scotch egg is a specific type of way of preparing like a hard boiled egg where you like put breadcrumbs around it and like deep fry it. So there, it's a real thing, but I'm not sure if he was just making like a joke about, you know, being in, in the UK and this is something you guys eat here and it's different from where I am. I'm from, I don't know, but it's just a funny thing because it's, it's clearly not a Kansas expression. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. it was his attempt to connect on a cultural level. Right. He did that before in the press conference in I think the episode prior where he says, you know what they say about people who assume it makes an arse out of you and me and nobody right. laughs and he goes, and that's just another way your English and our English just don't, don't jive. <laughs> don't jive. Yeah. So it's just a great, it's just another accent piece to, to his character yeah. where he's trying to connect and it's just, it's literally getting lost in translation. And yeah, like half the time they just, they just don't, they just miss, you know, he doesn't get the re- the reaction that he's hoping he'll get, mm-hmm. but he's trying. <laughs> he's always trying. Always trying. Yeah. And then it's, there was a great little final moment right before the opening credits where they pull out, the bus pulls out as if it's about to go on its journey to Liverpool and it, it suddenly stops and you see Ted get out, run around the side of the bus and open up the, the baggage compartment and get Nate out who had, you know, got it, got himself stuck in there. And <laughs> I, I thought this was actually really smart because a, yeah, you don't want poor Nate to be in the baggage compartment for this trip, but also it shows that Ted noticed that he wasn't there. And that's really important. I think that shows that Ted looked at everyone on the bus and thought, where, wait, where's, where's Nate, you know? And so I don't know if he was banging. I don't know if he was making noise, but it it clearly shows that, that Ted as a good coach wanted to know where everybody was that was supposed to be on the bus. And he made sure to get Nate out. Well, then we moved to the presidential suite 
where mm-hmm. uh, Keely and Rebecca are going to be sharing their their weekend in Liverpool. And it finally hits Rebecca that it's her anniversary weekend. I thought this was such a fun, tender moment between her and Keely where nothing is said sarcastic. Well, there are sarcastic things said before that are not appropriate to say on the show, but the moment where Rebecca breaks down, Keely just brings her in and, and gives her a hug. And it's slightly awkward because Keely is like 12 feet shorter than Rebecca, <laughs> but she gives her a hug and I love it. It's just, it's, it's quick. And it's a gentle reminder that these girls are not just party girls, that they actually have a, a friendship, a companionship. And Rebecca wants to make the most of this weekend. She wants to be able to live her life and finally kind of move on. And a weekend with Keely definitely does that. And Rebecca says, Ooh, ooh, that's, that's, that's a long hug. (laughs) Cause Keely's like really (laughs) holding onto her for a, it's not a quick little, little hug. It's no. A... What I also noticed, and this comes up later, is that Keely as a character seems to be very much in the place where she is appreciative of things. Mm-hmm. I think she's incredibly appreciative of Rebecca and her friendship, not for what she can get, but because I think she just doesn't have, she's never had that kind of relationship with, with someone, this, this partner, this friend that she can lean into and lean on and, and who can rely on her and she can rely on on Rebecca and I think it's such a a quiet way to show her appreciation and later when she meets Sassy she just gets so excited she says I love you you're the greatest oh this is awesome and I felt that way where I'm like this is gonna be great I have these are cool people I'm ready to hang out and and they make me laugh and I've had that kind of feeling before where I'm like I don't think anything can go wrong today because <laughs> yeah. of these kinds of uh, the people that I'm hanging out with as as crazy as they are in this this show I get the sentiment that Keely's feeling and I really feel like these were some of the moments where we see her absolutely affirm that man she is appreciating what she's got yeah, I, I agree. It's a it's a really nice short scene, but it works really well. And uh, yeah, and then it it kind of cuts to the I guess it's the lobby of the hotel where we see Nate handing out key cards and for, rules and rules and rules. Yes, <laughs> rules to all the players on what they can and can't do and where the what rooms they'll be staying in. And uh, Ted gets uh, room fifty one fifty, and Beer gets room. 5148. And then they both do this really hilarious thing where they kind of look at each other and go, Howdy, neighbor. And they kind of tip their hats like invisible hats. I just thought it was such a funny moment for the two of them. And they did it at the exact same time. Yeah. So they're just so in sync as as friends and as mm-hmm. coworkers. And I, I love I love that connection that they have. Yeah, you gotta wonder if there's an inside joke that's associated with right. that. Either with right. Beard and Ted or with the two actors. There might be some kind of inside joke there. But it feels like an inside joke, like when they travel with their football team and they get adjacent right. rooms. They're like, how to neighbor? <laughs> how to neighbor? It's so good. Yeah. And this is also a great scene where uh, uh, Ted, after Nate hands out all the cards, he says, uh, all right, fellas, we got team meal in an hour. After that, it's either going to be movie night or a pillow fight. What's it going to be this time around? Come on. Movie night. <laughs> And uh, the, the team uh, unanimously picks movie night. <laughs> I, I think most soccer teams would. Yeah. Uh, but Ted says, hey, all right. I tell you what, y'all say pillow fight one time and we'll never watch another movie together again. 
He really just wants know this pillow fight. He wants this pillow fight to happen. <laughs> and I kind of do too. <laughs> it would be quite the the uh, episode if we get that team having like a pillow fight, just feathers flying everywhere. I mean, that would be something to see. That's some bonus footage that will probably come in, yeah. the, in the deleted yeah. scenes. Maybe there's a pillow fight of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the episode moves back to the presidential suite. The thing that stood out to me in this scene is that Keeley's infomercial is is absolutely oh, yeah. king. And the line that keeps getting repeated is one that's just worth hearing. She says, Liverpool has much to offer when it comes to nightlife, from pubs and clubs to the great Asian pastime of karaoke. And I think it's great that you have Rebecca who doesn't quite get that she's listening to an infomercial. And so she's right in the other room. Yeah. yeah, She's asking (laughs) for restaurant recommendations and it times in perfectly with like, yeah, I go to the steakhouse. Right. (laughs) And then it mentions the business center. She's like, what? (laughs) And I love how Keely's like, I don't remember doing this. (laughs) Her hair is teased like the eighties and it's just so obnoxious. (laughs) This is also the introduction of Flo or Sassy. So just know that for the rest of this episode, Adam, I'm going to go back and forth. Flo and Sassy, they're the same person. Sure. So if you yeah. get confused, just know I'm talking about the same person. Yeah. Flo Sassy Collins, a brilliant <laughs> child psychologist and newly single. She has a 12-year-old daughter named Nora, who Rebecca is uh, the godmother to. These are great uses of truncated exposition. I think that great writing allows for that we get a lot of information in those two lines not only about sassy but also about her relationship with rebecca and how there's some tension there although it's not anger we just know that there's some incompleteness because it's either now or later where she mentions that she hasn't seen her in six years which i believe is the time the same time that she's been married to Rupert. I don't know if they were married longer than that, but it definitely corresponds with part of the time that she was married to Rupert. So Absolutely. clearly that relationship took its toll on Rebecca's time and caused her to lose touch with her her best mate, as she calls her, from childhood, and who calls Rebecca stinky. Flo is sassy and Rebecca is stinky. <laughs> so they're uh and I love this whole scene because the whole time they're talking and and Flo Sassy is talking. Keely's just looking, smiling, like, mm-hmm. I love you. <laughs> she, just, she is yeah. just enamored. It's like meeting yeah. a movie star or somebody yeah. that you've never met, but you're like, wow, this person is, I just know that they're going to make my life a little bit more awesome by just hanging out with them. So I think she sees like a kindred spirit in Sassy. Like, this is, she's my girl. You know, this is somebody, like, this is what I think she almost wants Rebecca to become more of that sort of free spirit making jokes. And and, in, and clearly we learn in this episode that Rebecca may have been a lot more like uh, sassy when she was younger, but has since become much more professional. And, and obviously with her divorce, she's you know, somewhat depressed and, and unhappy. So maybe hopefully we'll get to see that other side of, of Rebecca mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. But then it's fun because this is when we cut to the movie night with the team and they're watching the iron giant, which is a great hand-drawn animated, you know, flick from, I think 1999, which I, I I saw in the, in the big screen in the theater when it first came out. I think it's a great film directed by Brad Bird, who went on to do the Incredibles Mm -hmm. and uh, other uh, really great films. And uh, I, I just love this during this scene, 
I, clearly these players have not seen this movie. And most of these players are probably 18 to 22. So this movie probably came out when they were babies or before they were born, perhaps. I don't know. And uh, I love when Ted says, Hey, do me a favor. Keep an eye on these guys. Because around the 74-minute mark, there's going to be a room full of grown men crying. I'll be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things, it's interesting to watch this and, and notice some small things. I love that Isaac makes his teammate turn off his phone. Uh, yes. I put heck yeah, because that's what I want. Sometimes I love my wife so dearly, but I get so bothered when we're in a theater and she kind of cracks open her phone and looks to look at her text messages. I'm like, really? You can't, yeah, you can't, can't wait a couple wait. hours just to, <laughs> yeah. do you have somewhere you need to be? Cause we're on a date. Right. <laughs> this is we're, uh, Yeah. We're in the moment. Yeah. I do. I do understand to a certain extent when you have, once you have kids, there is that sort of concern like oh maybe the babysitter is texting there's a problem yeah you know there's always that fear that something happened to your kid and so there's that need to maybe just glance at it a couple times to make sure there's no emergency but yeah i i have, I have a good friend who <laughs> is so angered by people that that talk or even look at their phone it's just a glow of a phone showing up in a row in front of him or next to him it, it drives him mad so he now sits like in the front row in the theater so that nothing, so all that's behind him. I, I just can't do that because it hurts my neck, but I, I sympathize. It's a, it's a frustrating thing to have. You're trying to have this immersive experience and then all the, then the people are talking or texting. It's, it's really annoying. So if he's listening, I'm going to give you a couple of pro yeah. tips when it comes to that okay. in terms of where you sit in the theater, do not sit in the front row because that's terrible. No. And that's not your movie experience. You sit in one of two places. And both could equally satisfy not seeing a phone. So I would say, if you're going to sit anywhere, sit in the row right in front of the, right behind the rail. So you can stick your feet up and you're far enough away from people <laughs> who might be having their phones. Yeah. Or if you're bold like me, go ahead and just, you know, prop yourself up in the uh, handicap section because the odds of somebody coming in a wheelchair, at least in Arkansas is very low. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say those are primo seats to get you fully immersed or close enough that you get the whole screen around you and they're far enough away from the glow of iPhones and Galaxy S10s or yeah. S22s or whatever we're on now. <laughs> right. So yeah, if you're listening, pro tip, hope that works and enjoy your movie experience. Now turn off your cell phone and be quiet. In New York, I think at least during off-peak hours when I tend to go, the front row is reserved for the homeless people sleeping usually. And I, I, so I, I kind of stay away from that section of theater cause it, it's the smell more than anything. <laughs> I almost did a spit take. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I tend to go when I do go to the movie theater, uh, during the day because I don't want the crowds. I don't want, uh, so there are occasions where it's really fun to be with a big crowd and how we've talked about this, have that shared experience, but in this city, I like having a row to myself. I like being able to get up and go to the bathroom, not to have, not, not need to sort of annoy 15 people on the side of me as I kind of you know, move, maneuver around their knees and like knock over their popcorn stuff. So, yeah. So I try to go during off peak times and there are always uh, a handful of, of people that they, Hey, they may not be homeless. They might just smell, but they're sleeping. <laughs> they're using it as a, as a uh, hotel. Not, not really it's the, cheaper than a hotel. I, I mean, it is cheaper, <laughs> but probably not the ideal place to be sleeping, especially when the movie no. comes on and you got THX. It's kind of so blown. loud. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. Oh. They just sit up and go, turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, the, the scene ends with a great conversation between Ted and Beard and we get the beginnings of Nate having an idea or having ideas on how to make the team better and motivate them. But he sort of just kind of chickens out and um, it's like this little seed that gives Nate an opportunity to share his thoughts that of course pays itself up later in the episode. And I love Beard's last line. At least he didn't stammer. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. And Ted just kind of gives a little, <laughs> like, I think that was a Sudeikis yep. laugh. I don't think that was a Ted laugh. Yeah. I think it was just a great way yeah. to deliver the line. I also noticed in this episode, Adam, that the scenes are very efficient. There are several scenes where only a little bit happens and then we move on. You know, this dinner with Flo, we get into the dinner scene. She's flirting with the waiter on behalf of Rebecca, uh, kind of embarrassing her a little bit. And then it cuts to the hotel lobby where we get the more meat of, of Flo on full display. She is absolutely unapologetic and completely blunt when it comes to everything she does, everything she says, which I think is what makes her attractive. Uh, particularly to Keeley because she's, she comes across as very confident and I love the banter between both of them. They both seem really comfortable with each other, even though they've never met each other. It's almost as if you've got this kind of sarcasm challenge between the two of them and like, who's going to top the other. And I think it was a tie, honestly, because they both really just brought their a game when it came to this back and forthness. And I love that he makes her laugh. Yeah. And, and, and is really impressive. And that, that bluntness that she brings is great. Yeah. It's a really funny scene too, because he's looking for a fax machine uh, because I think we all know he has these divorce papers and clearly he, he's thinking, okay, I have to sign these and get these back to my wife and her attorney. Uh, and so he's asking the front desk clerk, do you have a fax machine? <laughs> the guy kind of laughs like, what? Like we haven't, ha no one's asked for a fax machine in a long time. And, and he's like, let me, uh, you know, check with a colleague, you know? And, and then I, this is where Flo overhears this conversation that Ted's having. And she goes, a fax machine. Hey, are you sending something to the year 1997? <laughs> I love Ted's response, which again, a little inside Apple moment. He says, yeah, just a little note to myself. Tell me to buy Apple stock. <laughs> So, which oh, is good. so true because if you could go back in time and buy Apple stock, yeah. you'd be, you'd yeah. In 1997, <laughs> you would be, uh, sitting pretty, sitting pretty, but yeah. yeah. And, and, and it turns out the guy did find a fax machine at like a tanning salon eight miles away. So I thought that was hilarious that there's literally no fax machines anywhere near this hotel. <laughs> and, and it, it makes sense. You yeah. know, not a lot of people are faxing things anymore. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's become an American pastime with baseball. It's faxing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then we cut to the movie night and everyone is crying. Must be the 74 minute go. mark. It's perfect. And then we're back with dinner uh, with Flo. And this is where we get this great backstory on not only Rebecca's nickname, as you mentioned, Stinky, but also Flo revealing, she says, that's not Rebecca. I love the way she says that. That's not Rebecca. Because that creates this level of like mystery. Like what? This Rebecca that we've known for six episodes that we've gotten to know who, you know, you and I want the armor to come down, who is yeah. she just reluctant? What's the deal? And she says, that's not her. And she reveals that, um, that she can be fun and that she can sing. I didn't know the actress before this, but I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe she played on Broadway a little bit. I know that she's got a, she's very, she's a trained singer. And we obviously find out later that she's amazing. But uh, but that's yet another way, along with her 
um, along with her arms, her, her action figure yeah. arms, <laughs> the show incorporates pieces of these people's, these actors' lives and their their talents and their personality into the show. I thought that was just a really cool thing to do. And the clever way in which they use that later on that we'll get into is is something I definitely am, am anxious to talk about. And then there's this funny moment that I think we've all experienced. <laughs> Rebecca says after, after dinner, she goes, uh, do you want to do that thing where you pretend you wanted to pay? Because she just <laughs> went and paid the bill. <laughs> And they all joke about it. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was just getting out my credit card. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know. I've been in so many situations where everyone kind of, you know, fumbles, you know, through their through their wallet. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. But clearly, there's, if, there's, if someone wants to pay or you know someone is intending on paying, you all kind of just secretly want them to and just you don't want to have to, you know, you don't want to have to chip in. Right. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's such a, a universal sort of thing that happens in a group dinner outing, especially if someone's invited you and, and, or if someone is well to do and you kind of, you know, assume that they might, they might pay for the bill, right. And treat everybody. So it was a really fun scene. And, and that funny scene segues into a really sad scene where Ted's in his room and a little army man that his son gave him on his on his desk and his hair is the messiest I think we've ever seen it, which is really interesting. He's yep. so disheveled yep. and you see lots of small alcoholic, you know, drinking bottles, like the kind you find in those mini fridges. And he's looking at himself in the mirror and just, you can tell he's just sort of, he's hating on himself, right? He's kind of really unhappy with his, who he is with his life, how things turned out. And he looks down at his divorce papers and he's kind of about to sign them when he gets a text from his wife, Michelle's lawyer, stating that he can just take a photo of the signed paperwork, as you mentioned earlier, and just email it to the office. And then he never signs them. And that's the interesting thing. He gets distracted because he hears and sees something happening under his door. There's like a, an envelope being slid in and out of uh, under his door. And he kind of pulls open the door and sees Nate like on his hands and knees, I guess, trying to decide if he wants to do it or not. And uh, if he wants to give Ted this this letter, this this envelope, and uh, he gets really mad at Nate. The first time I've ever seen Ted almost scold Nate, and it's really it's a hard scene to watch because clearly Ted's drunk, unhappy, and he just kind of falls asleep in bed after this, never having signed the divorce papers. Yeah, this is a a really different Ted that we've seen. I mean, we've seen him get angry but we've really not seen him almost lose it at this point. So watching him react to Nate the way he does. And I've, I mean, I, I think anybody who has some form of a temper has done this where they're unencumbered, they're, they're unhindered by their emotion or by, by whatever. And they just snap, they just go off. And uh, so watching that was really sad, but at the same time from a, technical standpoint the scene itself was really beautiful it, the music is great it's a simple guitar the fact that his hair is must i think is important because more often than not we've seen ted even at his worst he's not in shambles like the closest we got was him putting on that sweater in the scene in the office this is a a man who has pretty much at this point hit rock bottom and i, I think again it's a sad scene 
but it's also one that's very affecting in terms of just really creating that sense of depression. He's disheveled. There's alcohol bottles there, the the anger that, that he throws at Nate. And then seeing that army man tilted over, this has become an icon. This has become a symbol of stability for him. And so seeing it next to the, next to the pen, it's really, it's really sad, but again, it's very effective. And it's interesting to see that come right after the scene with the dinner with Flo. Again, the, the scenes are very, not jarring. They're just very efficient. And so we're getting there, but it doesn't feel like it's out of place. It's um, an interesting way to edit at that point. So yeah. we're, we don't, we don't get in a lead in. And I don't think we're supposed to. I think the point of this is sort of to shock us a little bit. Like, whoa, what, what's happening here with Ted? I mean, yeah, the divorce papers, but wow, is, is he going to, is he going to, is he suicidal? Is he going to do something crazy? Um, right. And so I think we're meant to kind of feel that way when we see that. Again, with the hair, I think it's important because even when he's in bed, his hair is almost always perfectly parted and, and kind of combed. It always looks well kept. And so for him, for his hair to be that messy really says a lot about his character. He's just sort of maybe self-hating. He's really unhappy with who he is at this point that he's not even attempting to, you know, to present himself in a, a well-kept manner. And uh, yeah, you don't know what's really going through his head other than that he knows he has to sign these papers and he's reluctant to do so. And he's clearly gotten himself drunk. And as we said, he goes to bed having not signed them. And then, you know, as we mentioned, Nate put an envelope under the door, which was his were his ideas for the team. And the next morning, Ted apologizes to, to Nate for his behavior, for you know, blowing up at him. And, you know, of course, Nate's very understanding, totally gets it. And this is a really great scene because he read all of Nate's ideas for the team. And he tells Nate, I agree with everything you wrote, but I think you need to tell the team these things. And he basically tells Nate that you're going to give the pregame speech today. They've heard me enough. It's your turn. And it's a great moment. Oh man. And I was kind of scared for Nate because up to that point, I didn't know what he was going to say. He's got this long like letter, almost like chapter of, of, of things that he needs to say. The scene is set up with some really fun moments with Higgins and his family. He's getting the family together to watch the match. I love that his love for the, for the team is not hindered by what Rebecca did to him by making him stay home. I also love that they have a British bulldog. I'm assuming he's a British bulldog, but I, I love, I love bulldogs. They're so cute. But then the announcer, the voiceover announcer makes this connection that the fact that the last time Richmond won, the number one song was Elvis Presley's it's now or never. And then he says, that's certainly the case for Ted Lasso's men tonight. I thought, okay, if Sudeikis is the teleplay writer, this is a fantastic creative way to be sort of, Puntastic. I guess you could say it's puntastic, where you tie in a true statement. I looked it up, and yes, it's now or never was a number one hit back in 1960. <laughs> the fact that um, it makes me wonder: did they set the scene up and then just happen to run across the song and make that coincidental connection, or did they have this line? Did he have this line in his head, and then he said, "Look, what we can do." I have this great line or have this great kind of uh, connection. Let's, let's make it to where they haven't won at Everton in 60 years, as opposed to like 30 or 40. I mean, right. I, I don't know, but I think, man, I'd love to be in the writer's room when that thing came out. And it's, it's little, it's a small thing. It's not like, oh my gosh, Aaron Sorkin wins an Oscar for that line. But I think it's really clever. And, and this is the yeah. thing is 
if I get ever get into writing, if I ever self-start, these are the things that I want to be able to come up with. There's these clever ways to tie things together, to give information and to keep it, the scene flowing the way it does. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and, you know, as we said, Nate essentially roasted every player <laughs> and, uh, I love how Danny Rojas says, do me next, do me next. And he's just like so happy, even when he when people are talking bad about him, he doesn't care. Uh, but clearly this little roast of all the players by by Nate worked because we see them kind of rush out of the locker room and basically cuts to them rushing back in. As you said, the, the announcer announces that they won two to nil with Roy Kent making a, a rare, a rare goal. And I think it's, it's funny that we don't see the game at all. It's completely off screen yet. It's arguably probably one of their best performances to date as a team. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an important, but there probably wouldn't have been enough time for this episode to show the game and to cover all the dramatic scenes that they wanted to cover and I think it makes sense that we didn't really need to see this game. It wasn't a, this particular episode wasn't about the game as much as it was about what happened before and after the game. Well, you make a good point, Adam, because I, I looked at this moment of when they win happens 20 minutes into a 32 minute or 18 minutes into a 32 minute episode. And I'm like, wait, shouldn't this be the thing that happens at the end? Right. And of course we get what we get afterwards. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's is what we're actually here for. And I, I was going to ask you <laughs> with regard to Nate's uh, pep talk, what was your favorite? And I love that you picked Rojas. He was my favorite too. I love that he says, roast yeah. me amigo. And then he yeah. says, uh, Nate says, if football is life, then your defense is death. The only person <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen lose a man more often is Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> and I love that yeah. Rojas is tough, but fair. <laughs> it's just tough, like, fair. wow. And, and Beard's like, Sex in the city. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> just, I think, I think uh, Ted shushes him or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a great moment. It really is. But then there's this great moment with, with Roy and Nate prior to, or after that, where I like that Roy tells him, don't read it. Like he knocks it out of his hands because Roy cares about Nate. And I didn't ever think that Roy was going to just pound him. I think Roy was saying, this is your chance. You're almost to the point where you're a man. <laughs> so right, if you're, right. you're going to do this, do it. And like, do it from your heart. Don't do it from the paper. Don't read it. Tell me what you feel and think. And I'll listen. Right. Yeah. And he does. And of course, as you mentioned, it pays off. We're back in the locker room after the game. The efficiency of the scenes is, is there. They're chanting. We're Richmond till we die. I love that. Rebecca congratulates Ted. <laughs> and yeah. then introduces him to sassy and he calls her sassy smurf so yeah. so good and she calls him marlboro man yes. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. and then we see keely and roy uh this continuation that we we got hints of uh roy says i've been thinking about you a lot this weekend and she's like really he said yeah your face keeps popping up in my in my hotel yeah. room it's not what you're thinking yeah, yeah. It's, you're, you're thinking he's he's actually admitting something to her that he has feelings or that he he cares for her but then you're like oh yeah you're right yeah it's on she's on his tv screen in his room and yeah. he can't think about anything other than him yeah other and, than her and and that line comes right back he brings her up yeah. and he said we're not going back to the hotel we're gonna tear the city down we're gonna celebrate 
uh, yep. because we can. And, and what should we do? <laughs> and of course she does her line about yep. the nightlife and the, the great Asian pastime of, and then <laughs> we're in the karaoke bar yep. and we start with Sam doing some oasis. I thought that was great. The second coming of the Beatles, I think is what they were called when they first came out. That obviously didn't oh, happen. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Still a good band though. Still like Oasis, yep. just not quite up to the, to the Beatles, Beatlemania that we were. Yeah, it didn't quite, they didn't quite live up to that, um, to those expectations. I guess yeah. that's great expectations. Great expectations. <laughs> we also get Rebecca rekindling her relationship with Sassy. There's that great scene outside the karaoke where she talks about regret about mm-hmm. not spending those six years or losing those six years of her life. And um, I love that Sassy says that Rupert built an ivory tower, but you walked up all those steps. And then she is honest with Rebecca about owning up to what she did. And I thought that was really interesting because Sassy could easily be that person who just forgives and forgets. But she said, look, you were culpable too. You made those yeah. choices, but you can still fix it. The bridges have not burned. And I thought, man, honest sassy right there saying mm-hmm. what she needs to say getting right in rebecca's face but doing it in a way where rebecca really respects her and and loves her for it right yeah and and uh and sassy sneakily puts a song on for rebecca and and after beard finishes singing bad romance by oh. lady gaga <laughs> that was that by itself is worth the price of admission here, here's, here's my theory. I think when the hat comes off, Beard turns into a different person. That's yes. my theory. <laughs> yep. Right. He's all, uh, he's no longer business. He's ready to cut loose. But yeah, after he finishes Bad Romance, then Rebecca goes up and she's like, I don't even know what, what song I'm, I'm singing. And, and she sings Let It Go from Frozen. And as you said, we get to hear Rebecca's singing chops and she's phenomenal. I mean, it's, uh, it's an amazing performance. And, and clearly this there's, she's singing this because of the connection to her being the godmother to Sassy's 12 year old daughter. Clearly they, they watched this movie together prior to the six year hiatus that they they had in their relationship. So it makes sense. And I think she even dedicates it to uh, her goddaughter. She dedicates uh, it to Sassy because Sassy says, Sassy. Yeah. I want to dedicate this to my best friend. Says, it's me. It's me. I, yeah. it's, it's all me. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and this is when, you know, it's a great scene, almost gives me chills. Like everybody's kind of really impressed seeing Rebecca, their boss up there singing and sort of really letting down her guard. But then Ted starts to have essentially a panic attack and, you know, he starts, his hands start shaking similar to how we described in an earlier episode. So it all, it all makes sense now. And, uh, and the sound design is brilliant here where you hear, the, the the sound of the music kind of almost sound like it's it's echoing and you hear a ringing sound like you're hearing inside his head and he just kind of bolts out of there. He doesn't know what's going on. And I think anyone who's had a panic attack, the first time you have one, you don't know. You think you're dying. Like it's it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. So once you've had one before, you can sort of be like, okay, this is a panic attack attack. I know what it is. But when you're first experiencing those symptoms, it, it feels like you're just dying, right? You don't know what's how we're having a heart attack. You don't know. So he runs outside and just trying to get some air. I don't know how long he's been kind of sitting there kind of in a panic, but you see Rebecca kind of come into focus trying to like get him out of it. And so clearly she's, she finished her song and noticed that Ted was missing and came outside looking for him 
So this had to be a few minutes that he was out there by himself, even though it feels like it almost happened instantaneously. And she basically helps bring him out of this this attack. And they have a really great moment that I mentioned earlier that really echoes the scene outside the gala when Rebecca was having a sort of similar moment where she was really sort of freaking out about Rupert sort of stealing her thunder and and Ted kind of brought her down. So it's she kind of paid him back in this scene. And I thought it was a really, really great moment as well. I did, too. And I'm echoing like I'm looking at my notes like, yes, I'm saying all these things in my notes that the the camera work and sound design are really great. I've never had a panic attack, but I have this fight or flight response with my body. So if like something pretty like abrupt happens with my body, like if something starts hurting, I had a running accident. And several years ago, I also when I was playing softball, I I was trying to outrun a a hit um, to first base and, and pulled my pulled my hamstring pretty bad. I, I would get lightheaded. Are you sure you, did, you didn't pull your butt? I may have pulled my butt. You're exactly right. Yeah. I may have pulled my butt and didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. The The result was the same. I would sit down and get lightheaded and there would be this ringing in my ear where things would s- just feel blurry. That right there is what I thought was a fantastic representation of what that feels like. Again, it wasn't a panic attack, but I did feel like nervous, like, oh my gosh, am I going to die? Am I going to pass out? What's happening here? And Sudeikis just plays this so well. He doesn't charge out of the karaoke bar. He just kind of, he do, but he doesn't like saunter. He doesn't like slither. I mean, it's it's a it's an exertion, but it's not one that we're like everybody's noticing. And I think even in that moment, Adam, he's trying to control himself. He's trying to contain and not be that guy, not be and the not center. be seen. He it, right. He doesn't want the team to see him in at, in this state. Whatever is going on. He wants to shield everyone else around him from right. that and just deal with it on his own. Yeah. And which he tries to do. But clearly he needed Rebecca to help him. Right. Um, calm down and sort of bring him back mm-hmm. and to breathe. Yeah. So it, it's a, yeah, I think they really, this is sort of, for me at least, this is the moment where they their relationship is really solidified. We really see that they, there's something beyond just boss and you know employee yeah I, I i think you're exactly right this is i think answers the question has rebecca's armor finally come off i think we can say it does the the next scene takes us to ted's hotel room and it's interesting i'm looking at i keep referring to my notes but because that's what i do <laughs> i look at my notes but i'm noticing that there are a lot of mirror images of things that happen so you have the locker room pregame where there's apprehension, we don't know what's going to happen. Then locker room post game, where they're just celebrating. That's great. Then you have Ted's room. The last time we saw Ted in his room, the army man was over. He was disheveled and drunk. Same scene. He's at yeah. the he's at the table. The, he picks the army man up and 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 sets him upright, and then picks up the pin. He's his hair is. It's- combed and yeah. yeah he looks he doesn't look although i think he had been drinking at the karaoke bar well, who doesn't drink at karaoke? He doesn't, I mean. right he, but he doesn't look <laughs> drunk is what right. i'm saying he he looks like he's pretty clear-headed but he's not in any way drunk and he's looking at himself with all with more sober eyes i guess absolutely compared to the night before and and there's a a moment at the very end where he just does a little grin 
Yeah. And I, and noticed I think, that. you know, facial expressions are so good in this show because they say so much without saying anything. If I had to interpret it, I'm not going to say he's over it, but I think he has accepted the thing that has been in front of him for a while now. And, and I think yeah. it was a process of acceptance, the acceptance with, with her in the rain, the acceptance of the next episode where he sort of is processing with the curse going on. And now we're here and it's real. The divorce papers are there. He's not celebrating. I mean, his, his face is still very much not happy, but I think there's a sense of peace that he has once he signs. Yeah. I I think I took it as almost relief. Like this weight has been lifted and he's like, Oh, I feel I can feel happiness again because I can move past this now. Not that he was like proud of himself for signing the papers, just that he, he did it and now he can move on. And that weight has been lifted a a little bit. I'm sure, you know, he still has a son with his wife, so he's still going to have a relationship with her, but he now knows that any glimmer of hope that he may have been clinging to is gone. It's over. He's moving past it. And now he's opened himself up, whether he knows it or not to a, potential relationship right in the future and that's important for for anybody getting over somebody to be ready for something new to to allow someone new into your life yeah well in this moment could be 30 minutes later after he signs the divorce papers (laughs) exactly sassy (laughs) who can get anything she wants steps into his hotel room and obviously we know what potentially happens to to finish out the show but uh, but there's also a couple of quiet moments with uh, with Keely and Roy. They mm-hmm. they take a walk. We get the stereotypical oh they're at the they're they're at her front door. Are they going to kiss? And they do kiss. Are they going to now go into her suite and make sweet sweet love? No. <laughs> Roy just says all right good night. And I love that Keely checks her mouth checks her breath you know breath. Yeah, it's like did like- I did I do something wrong? Right. Do I stink? But yeah. that's, that's very much Roy. You know, I don't, I think he's cautious. And I think that's, yeah. that's, that's a really sweet thing to do because he doesn't want to screw things up. I think he, he knows he's got something good going on with her, but he also knows that he's got to, he's got to take his time with this. He doesn't need to rush into things. I thought that was kind of cool. And they both have been drinking and maybe Roy realizes that and doesn't want to take advantage of that situation. I think he is a gentleman as much as he has a, a potty mouth, right? He, I think, is a gentleman and wants, if he is going to enter into a relationship with Keely, he wants to do it uh, with a clear head, right? And, the right way. And with every, the right way. Yeah, he wants to make sure everyone's consenting and everyone's on the same page and, and for it to mean something. So mm-hmm. uh, I think he did what Roy would do and he abruptly left and it's just said goodnight, like you said. <laughs> and uh, and then we also get one fi- other final scene with Rebecca, I guess at the hotel bar restaurant, having a, a final drink for the evening. And she gets a text from Ted and it, it thanks her for helping him through his panic attack. And just, I think he wrote through this whole adventure, thanking Rebecca for, for her help. And then she kind of looks at that younger waiter that Sassy was kind of, uh, you know, joking with earlier about Rebecca being available and single. And he kind of smiles at her and kind of exits the the room. And I'm not sure what happens next, but what are your thoughts? Do you think they hook up? Do you think they uh, meet up in her room or something? Because it doesn't show anything else, mm-hmm. but it's sort of implied yeah. that something happens. It The first time I watched this, it felt a little weird. 
because I wasn't quite sure what was going on watching it this time around and being able to sort of know things in context. The implication is that yes, he goes home with her, but what she is doing is reading this text. And I feel like this is one of those scenes that doesn't feel like it's shot very well because you're getting this nonverbal of two things that aren't related. And I wanted to connect the dots. I was like, wait, does she love Ted and she wants to be with him, but there's this other guy and she's maybe trying to get, you know, is this her old life with this, with this guy that she doesn't know this waiter, but then there's Ted and there's and a, he's a very young guy too. So yeah. clearly isn't meant to be anything like an actual love interest. It's just, if anything, just somebody for her to move on with and yeah. quotes, you know, and, and that, and that's what I picked up this time around is that she's got this message from Ted. And I think her contemplation is independent of her interaction with this guy, because I think she is finally realizing that Ted's a human being and that he is worth caring for. As you mentioned, beyond just an employee that he cares for her, she cares for him. And and, and we're talking platonic here. I don't see any romantic kind of implications at this point. I don't either. They're too different in terms of the type of people they are. I mean, not that opposites can't attract, you know, they do, but I just don't see any chemistry there in a romantic way. But I think she's genuinely contemplating the the context of that message and how the moment that she helped him and genuinely wanted to get him out of that panic attack, he saw that as just a piece of how he saw her friendship. And I think for me, that's the moment that I think she realizes, okay, I need to probably come clean. I need to stop doing what I'm doing because I'm wrecking things. I'm, I'm, I'm not happier because I'm doing certain things. And I don't think that other people, i.e. Ted, are going to be the ones who are going to reap any kind of benefit from, from what I'm doing. Now, how this plays out, I don't know, but I think she's turned a corner at this point. I think she's going to be more proactive and celebrate FC Richmond wins and and endorse Ted genuinely and not just as a farce. So I think when you couple that with what's happening in the bar, it just, it's confusing because that guy has nothing to do with what she's thinking about. And I think the first time I saw that, I was like, wait, what is happening here? Is is this, does this guy have some insight that we don't know? (laughs) Don't know. Exactly. But no, I think they're independent things. I agree. And, and then the final scene of the, of this episode, we cut back to Ted's hotel room and he, you know, gets a knock on the door and it's sassy and she just walks right into his room and Ted kind of looks around like, you know, what's going on here? And, and he's like, okay, closes the door and then, you know, roll credits. That's the end of the episode. And it's a great little ending because just as he signs (laughs) his divorce papers, potentially a new romantic uh, interest enters, literally enters his life, his room. Man. Sassy and Ted. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Sassy Smurf and the Marble Man. I don't know if I could, Yeah. I don't know if I could buy that just yet, but uh, they're yeah. definitely, they've, they've got good lyrical chemistry for sure. Right. And uh, right. I guess credit to Jason Sudeikis for, for writing all that. So that's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up this episode of an original series. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking about it. Adam, what do we have coming up uh, next time? Next time we have episode eight. So we have three left for the season, and this episode is entitled "The Diamond Dogs." The that's Diamond a, Dogs. Are they going? Not, are they playing baseball? Yeah. This is good. I love baseball. <laughs> no, I yeah, 
<laughs> I, this one I don't have any. I cannot decipher. You know, this past one, this episode that we're covering in this episode, "Make Rebecca Great Again," is pretty self-explanatory. But some of these uh, episode titles are a little cryptic. And this one, yeah, definitely falls into the cryptic category. If we get baseball, I'd be pretty surprised. But yeah, I that's yeah. why I don't think that's no. going to be the case. <laughs> yeah, baseball's not too popular over there. <laughs> no, it's. Not at all. No. Uh, well, thanks everyone for joining in and tuning in uh, to be a part of this conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here. Okay.